That's kind of nice, isn't it? Uh, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6 and Luke 14. All right? We're going to continue our series on Elevate, Breaking Through to New Levels in Life, and we're talking about going to a new level in finances. Pastor Jeff preached last week, did a great job in this area. So we're going to start at 1 Timothy 6 and Luke 14. Now, I'm doing the Ten Financial Commandments, and this is the third part. I've already done the first six in two parts, and I'll do the last four today in this one. Yesterday, um, a lady in the church told me that she, uh, uh, they've implemented Mr. Budget in their household, you know. And uh, so whatever Mr. Budget says is what they do, you know. And on Tuesday nights, they go to McDonald's because you can get a Happy Meal without the toy for a dollar on Tuesday nights. And Mr. Budget has, has approved this. And so... Uh, they were driving last Tuesday night to, to McDonald's, and one of their, their little, had three children, little daughter said, real small, said, Mom, can I get a toy with my Happy Meal tonight? And she used my illustration. She said, Oh, I would love to get you a toy with your Happy Meal, but Mr. Budget says no. And the little girl thought for a little while, and in a moment she said, Mom, I want Mr. Budget to die. And I have to tell you that I felt that way, too, sometimes, you know. But really, Mr. Budget's a good guy. After he, has, he says no for a long time, he'll start saying yes, and uh, it's a whole lot better. All right, here's the seventh financial commandment. Again, I've already covered the first six. Seventh commandment is, thou shalt live below thy means. Thou shalt live below thy means. And this corresponds again with the seventh commandment, I believe. Exodus 20, verse 14 says, You shall not commit adultery, because a man or a woman who commits adultery is living beyond his or her means that God has provided. He's believed the lie that the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. He's believed the lie that he'll be happy if he goes beyond the means that God has provided for him and goes beyond beyond those means, but he won't. He won't be happy. It's a lie that the enemy tells us. It is the same with financial spending. It is the exact same. It is spiritual adultery to go outside the means that God has provided for you. Now, why do we live beyond our means? All right? I want to show you why, and I want to show you how to live within your means. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. I'm going to emphasize a word. We'll come back and talk to it. First Timothy 6, verse 6. Now, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. One of my friends said, you've never seen a a hearse pulling a U-Haul. And having food and clothing with these, we shall be, here's the word I want to emphasize, content. Content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money, not money, but the love of it, is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. All right, the first way, if you want to live below your means, the first thing you have to do is learn to be content. Learn to be content. And you can make yourself content. Paul said, I've learned to be content. In whatever state that I'm in, whether I'm I'm prospering, abounding, or whether I'm being abased, in other words, I'm going through a poverty time, I have learned, I have taught myself to be content. Now, let me tell you what it does. When you are not content with the provision God has given you, 
You are boldly stating to God, I am not content with the provision you have provided for me, and I'm not content with you. I just want you to know that, God. The reason that I'm going to go buy this on a credit card when I don't have the money to pay for it is because I'm not content with you. I am not content with you, and I'm not content with the way you're providing for me. And when you do that, you live, you're living above your means. Now, that's the first reason people live above their means, is because they haven't taught themselves how to be content. And they are not content. And because they're not content, according to 1 Timothy 6, it opens the door to all kinds of evil in their lives. All right, here's the second reason. Luke chapter 14. Flip over there. Luke 14. Verse 28. For which of you, this is Jesus speaking, Intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count. That's the main word we want to look at in this passage. Count the cost. Whether he has enough to finish it. Lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, does not sit down first and consider, or we could use the word again, count, whether he's able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. All right. Here's the second reason that people don't live below their means is because they never take the time to learn to count. Now, listen to me. This is the practical side of it. All right. I'm going to use a word that to some of you is a bad word. It's not a bad word, but for some of you, it will send chills up your spine when I say this word. You will never be able to live below your means until you learn math. (laughs) The reason that people don't live below their means is because they don't count. They literally don't count. They come in and they meet with someone and they say, okay, we say, what's your income? $3,000 a month. Okay, give us your bills. Well, uh, $1,200 house payment. Uh, $400 car payment, $360 car payment, $800 here, $400 here, $300, dollars $500, $200, $400, $600, $800, $500, and $300. That doesn't work. <laughs> that, that, and, and we really find that people literally, it's not that they can't, it's that they don't. They don't. They just simply don't count what their expenses are and what their income is. They just don't count. Now, I just want to tell you something. Math is not bad. Now, I was talking to my wife about this. I talked to her about my messages, and she said, you need to go easy on that point because you're good at math. And there are a lot of people that aren't good at math, and they're going to just hate you when you say the word math because you said it in church, and, and they're not in school anymore, and they don't want to hear that word. But I just want you to know that what you told your teacher you would never use, you need How many of you, let's just get honest, how many of you told a parent or a friend or a teacher sometime when you were in school that you were being taught something that you were never going to use later in life? Can I see your, okay, repent, 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 repent. You need math. Do you understand that we we have a whole society, this is one of the basic reasons that we're in debt, because we can't add. You know, we have, you go to, to, to buy something and they have the machine now to tell them how much change to give. You ever been, you ever heard of that? I mean, they just, poop. And, and, and I have a friend, this guy said, he said, I was buying something one time and the machine broke. 
And the guy, it just totally flipped him out. He couldn't figure out how much to give me back. He said, now here's the sad thing. The bill was $4.95. I gave him a $5 bill. He said he pushed the button. Whoop. Then in a minute he said, man, just reach in and get how much you think you ought to get back. <laughs> yesterday, yesterday, I'm going through the drive-thru with my daughter to get her something to eat. And it, it was uh, $5.57. $5.57. Okay? I had a $20 bill. Now, some of you immediately know the way that I'm thinking. I don't want to get back $14.43. I don't want to get 14 because then I got four ones to carry around. So I said, let me see if I have 57 cents. So I looked through my little change thing. Well, I had, I didn't, I didn't have a nickel. I had two quarters, a dime, and two pennies. So I had 62. Okay. Now, this will work. But some of you, I'm telling you, some of you are like, I'm saying, okay, I, it was 5.57, I didn't want to get back 14.43, but I had 62 and 20. Some of you are like, <laughs> I mean, totally lost already on the illustration, I'm trying to tell you. Which is what happened to the little girl at the window. So I said, well, here, I said, here's 20. I, said, I told her, so I'm looking for 57 cents. I said, 7 cents. I don't have 57, so I got, but I got 62. I said, it, it'll work. I, it'll work. She closed the window and called the manager over. And, 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 and chewed, chewed, I'm told, you know, just said, he wants, he wants something. You know, she was just beside herself. And so the manager then got a piece of paper and a pen out. Then she opened the window back, and she, this is what she did. She said, 1505? <laughs> I said, yes. She said, <laughs> And the manager went, <laughs> Now, I'd like to see their checkbook. They are probably living above their means. Are you, are, are you hearing me? Okay, here's, here's, what, here's the solution. If you can't count... Marry someone who can, or get a friend who can. But let somebody help you figure out, if you've got $4,000 a month to live on, how, how, what kind of a house can you buy? How much can you afford? And you have to know percentages to do that one. <laughs> what kind of cars can you drive? How much can you spend on clothes? How much can you put in savings? How much can you give? But you're going to have to do math if you're going to live below your means. All right, that's the seventh financial commandment. Here's the eighth financial commandment. Thou shalt not count on future earnings to pay present expenses. Oh. Thou shalt not count on future earnings to pay present expenses. This goes along with the eighth commandment. Exodus 20, verse 15. You shall not steal. Because to spend money that you don't have is stealing. And it doesn't matter what this society says, it's wrong to write a check or charge something on a card when you don't have that amount in your account to pay that bill when it comes. It's wrong. It's stealing when we do that. And do you realize, here, one, I heard a statistic. 
80% of Americans spend their tax refund check before they get it back. In other words, now some of you, you don't want to say anything, but you're thinking, well, what's wrong with that? I mean, it's coming, you know, it's on the way. And I know that I'm going to get this much money, and I've been wanting a stereo, so this is God's provision, so I'll go buy it on the credit card, and hopefully by the time the bill comes, and then by the due date, I'll have my check back. It's wrong. You will never break that cycle until you just stop spending money that you don't have. If you want something, save for it. Take your time. Now, let me tell you what this is causing spiritually, all right? I want to show you the verse in the Bible that has the word hope in it four times in one verse. Romans 8, 24 says, For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen or realized is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? Why does one still hope for what he sees? Let me give you another way to say that. Why does someone still hope for what he has? You don't hope if you already have it. Once you have it, you stop hoping. Now listen to me carefully. God wired you to operate on hope. That's the way he wired you. He wired you for something that's called delayed gratification. God wired you to have joy. He wired you to have satisfaction. God wired you so that if you wanted something, you would hope for that, and you would plan for it, and you would move toward it, and it would take a while for you to get it, but once you got it, you would experience joy and satisfaction. Now listen to me carefully. Debt takes away hope. Because we don't hope anymore because we don't wait. Listen carefully to me. If we want something, we just go buy it on the credit card. And we figure out how to pay for it later. Listen, buy now and pay later is financial suicide. Buy now and pay pay later is the biggest lie Satan ever tells us about finances. It is financial suicide. And here's the problem. God wired you to have hope so you could have joy. But if you don't have hope, if you don't wait for something, if you just buy it, even if you don't have the money, you won't have hope and you won't have joy. And listen to me. America is the leading country in debt, personal debt, and the leading country in depression. Why? Because we're violating one of God's rules, one of God's commandments. And that is that we don't wait when we want something. And I'm telling you, you are depressed. Many of you are depressed. And clinically, clinical, a clinical psychologist will tell you that a person without hope is diagnosed as a person that is depressed. And the reason we don't have hope, a lot of us... Is because we buy things when we don't have the money, so we don't wait. We don't wait. Do, do you realize that we're the first society to do this? Really? The first generation? And listen to me carefully. There have been other societies that have gone into debt bondage, but not like we have and not like this generation. My parents didn't live this way. Just one generation ago. My grandparents didn't live this way. Most consider a generation 40 years. My grandparents did not live this way. They didn't buy on credit cards. Now, you know what's amazing? Is my, my kids, my kids get credit card applications in the mail constantly. My kids. I, I can remember one time opening a credit card application for my 15-year-old son, and they were going to give him more than they were going to give me. And I had a job. He didn't even have a job. But they really want to give him this much money on a credit card already. Kids are graduating from college with more debt and a much higher debt ratio than our parents had after 40, 30, 40 years. Much more. 
because they know that they're going after him. But here's the problem. We are becoming the most depressed people on the face of the earth. And the reason is, is because we don't hope. I hope you're hearing this. I hope you're hearing this. Have you ever bought something because you were depressed? <laughs> Didn't want us to answer that, did you? Because we've all done it. It's wrong. Thou shalt not count on future earnings to pay present expenses. Here's the ninth financial commandment. Thou shalt use your finances to bless others and be a witness about God. Thou shalt use your finances to bless others and be a witness about God. Exodus 20, verse 16. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. All right. So if God says you shall not bear false witness, then if he said you shall, it would be you shall bear a true witness. Right? God wants us to be true witnesses. And have you noticed how many times God is concerned about your neighbor? I mean, here it talks about your neighbor. The tenth financial commandment talks about, the tenth commandment talks about your neighbor as well. All through you got Jesus saying, love your neighbor as yourself. And you got Jesus talking about others, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Why? Why is God so concerned about our neighbors? Let me tell you why. He is not talking about how to treat neighbors. He's talking about how to treat family. Family. Because He is looking at your neighbor as a potential child of God. And God got excited when you moved into that neighborhood. God looked down and saw all the people in that neighborhood that were going to go to hell, and He got excited that He was putting a light in that neighborhood. But here's the problem. The way we handle our finances is either a good or a bad witness about God. What with the financial purchases we make, Either testify to people that God's a good God through the good times and the bad times. Or, here's what they say to, to, to our unchurched neighbors. Why would I want to be a Christian? The guy can't even pay his bills. The guy's finances are the most messed up of any guy on our block. Why would I ever want to be a Christian? I wonder if while we're telling our neighbor about God, if he's looking over our, our shoulder wondering why we don't paint our shutters... But we have a new car. I wonder if, if the, the talk around the neighborhood are, we kind of wish the Christians would move out because it's the worst lawn on the block. But they've always got new cars, new stereos, always talking about the church. And by the way, if your finances are that messed up, well, never mind. I was going to say don't invite them to Gateway, but go ahead and invite them. Maybe they'll get straightened out. But I, it's just a horrible witness when we don't spend our finances right. When, when we can't pay our bills, what kind of a witness is that about God? And can I tell you something? It's not God. The problem is not, if you can't pay your bills, the problem is not God is not providing for you. The problem is that you are not managing what He's providing. That's the problem. And thou shalt not, thou shalt use your finances to bless others and to be a witness, but to bless others. Listen, God again wired us for joy. For joy. Let me show you scripture. Acts 20 verse 35. Paul says here, and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. You know the word blessed means happy? So here's another way that verse could read. People who give are happier than those who receive. They're going to be happier. Um, I, I, for years, was so concerned about managing my finances right, not getting that. I just did everything with cash. Just everything. And now, I, I use credit cards because I like points. Okay, I like to get the points. But I pay them all. I've now, I don't have any credit card debt. None at all. Okay. 
uh, I think probably for two months of my life I've had credit card debt. Probably that's uh, that I can remember. So uh, now I use credit cards, but I, I pay them off at the end of the month and I have, a, you know, savings and all that. But I, I realized something last summer. Last summer, Debbie and I were on vacation in Colorado, and I, I had all this cash. I mean, I had hundreds of dollars of cash. And I got to thinking, why do I still carry all this cash on vacation? Because I used to, you know, I, I, when we go on vacation, I would take cash on vacation, and I wouldn't put anything on the credit card because I didn't want to come back to a credit card bill that I couldn't pay. But now, because I've man- I manage my funds, I have it in savings account, I use credit cards, but then I'll pay it off when I get back. I never spend more than what I have, and we have a budget for vacation. Same thing, okay? But I just realized last summer, we're, I mean, this is last summer. We're on vacation. I've got hundreds of dollars of cash for me, and I was kind of laughing about it with the Lord one morning. In my quiet time, it's like the Lord reminded me of it. And I found out later why he reminded me. But I said, Lord, this is something. I, I'm putting the whole vacation on a card. I'm going to pay it when I get back. But I still, out of habit, just brought a whole bunch of cash with me. I don't know why, you know. So the Lord and I laughed about it. Debbie and I went to lunch that day. Now, again, this is, uh, we had, I had the motorcycle then. And we were, I, this is important for me to tell you this. Because when you ride a motorcycle in Colorado, you have to dress appropriately, okay? So we had on leather chaps, you know, leather jackets, leather, you know, everything was leather. And uh, I did not look like a pastor on vacation. That's the point of the story, okay? We looked, people didn't sit by us at the restaurant, you know, that's what we were looking like. So so we're in this little hamburger place, not very expensive either, in this little hamburger place, and this family of six comes in, and they start counting, adding up what they can spend, and they talk about sharing a meal. And the kids are very polite, and immediately I think, these are believers. These are believers, and they're being a good steward. And my heart just went out to them because I remembered those days. I remembered the days of having to really count pennies on vacation. I remember those days. And then as their meal came, they blessed their meal. And uh, I just got this, it just hit me in my heart. And all of a sudden, the Lord said to me, remember we were talking about why you had all that money with you? And I just said, yeah, Lord, I, I know. I, I got it. I got it. And so I said to Debbie, I said, you see this family? She said, yeah, I've been watching them. I said, well, I want to bless them financially. And she said, you want to buy their meal? I said, no, I was thinking about buying their vacation. <laughs> and uh, she said, okay. I said, I got this much in my wallet, and we can always get more if we need it, and I just want to bless them. And uh, she said, okay. And it was tough to get them to take it, I think, because of the way we were dressed. But <laughs> we were not going to rob you afterwards, you know, so... But I said to him, I said to him, and I said to all the kids, I said, I want you to never forget the day that God told a man in a restaurant to pay for your vacation. I don't want you to ever forget it, because this is from the Lord. Now, here's what I want to tell you. We were in Colorado, in Vail. Our kids flew up, and then we went to Red River, and we, we had a great three-week vacation, all right? The highlight of our vacation was that day. That's the highlight. That's the best thing about our vacation. When we look back on that vacation, the most fun we had was blessing that family. Listen to me. God wired you to have joy. If you don't manage your finances, you're missing out on joy. You're missing out on hope. You're missing out on some things God wants you to have. And here's the tenth financial commandment. Thou shalt not try to keep up with the Joneses. Or whatever their name is. 
Exodus 20, verse 17, the 10th commandment. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. God does not want us comparing ourselves with others financially. Our friends got a new house. Our friends live in a nicer neighborhood. Our friends drive nicer cars. Let me tell you what you're doing. You're opening the door to covetousness. And when you covet, you're in trouble. If you open the door to covetousness, you're going to open the door to all kinds of evil and, according to Scripture, I'll show you in just a moment, idolatry. Don't covet what someone else has. Don't try to keep up with the Joneses. Luke 12, verse 15. And Jesus, He said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. That would be a great verse to remember. One's life does not consist... In the abundance of things he possesses. Colossians 3 verse 5. Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth. Here's what he says. Put to death these things. Fornication. You think we ought to put fornication to death? That's good. Three of you did. That's that's good. (laughs) Uncleanness. Passion. Evil desire. And covetousness. Look at the list that it's in. But now watch this. Here's the definition of covetousness. And covetousness which is idolatry. Idolatry. Idol worship. How would covetousness be idolatry? Well, it's really simple. Let me explain it to you. Once you covet what someone else has, what that person has becomes an idol to you, and, I'm going to take it a little step further here, listen carefully to me, and the person becomes God. Listen to me. When you covet what someone else has, What the person has, what you're coveting, becomes an idol, and the person becomes God to you. You say, well, how how would that be? Well, it's very simple. Because you now want what that person has rather than what God has for you. You now set your principles based on that person's principles rather than on the principles of God. That person becomes your God. And here's the sad thing. That person is spending your money, and you don't have any say in it. That person buys a new car, you've got to buy a new car. That person lives in a certain neighborhood, now you've got to live in that neighborhood. That person wears certain clothes, now you've got to wear those clothes. That person begins to set the order for your life. And now all of a sudden, because you are coveting what someone else has, you are going to do what that person does rather than what God tells you to do. That's what covetousness does. Covetousness is idolatry. Now let me show you one more verse about it. Hebrews 13, verse 5. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have for... I've never seen these two sentences together. I didn't know they were together. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, let me just ask you something. Have you ever heard the second part of that verse? You ever heard, I will never leave you nor forsake you? Okay, I used to quote this verse and didn't quote the first part. I knew I will never leave you nor forsake you was Hebrews 13.5. And I would say, you know, Hebrews 13, 5 says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. But I never put it together. It's all one verse. I just, just, just look at it one more time. Hebrews 13, verse 5 says, let your conduct be without covetousness. Don't be covetous. Be content with such as you have for, or we could say for, you know, is a, a, a preposition that you can substitute because for. Because he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake. Okay, let me tell you what Hebrews 13, 5 is saying. Here's what God is saying. Why 
Would you ever covet what someone else has when you have me? Is that good? That's good. If you didn't know that's good, if it's too early for you, that's good. Here's what God is saying. Why would you ever covet what someone else has? For I will never leave you nor forsake you. Why would you covet? Why would you not be content when I'll never leave you? Why, why would you covet what someone else has when you got me? That's what he's asking us here. Okay. I want to end this financial series with what happened to me about a week and a half ago. In my quiet time, something God spoke to me. And it, it involves this verse and another verse. I'm in my quiet time a week and a half ago, and I'm reading along, and I come to this verse, which all of us have heard before. It's when Jesus was on the cross, and he said this, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I preached on that verse. I know that verse. I know that it's in Psalm 22, that he's quoting Psalm 22. Then that's a messianic psalm from the Old Testament. But all of a sudden, a week and a half ago, it just dawned on me that that happened. In other words, Jesus wasn't just crying out some expression, some emotional expression, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But it actually happened. In other words, God actually forsook Jesus on the cross because I know that it happened because Jesus said it. This is what dawned on me a week and a half ago. It just all, I don't know why it's never dawned on me before, but for some reason it dawned on me. Jesus said, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus can't lie. He can only tell the truth. So Jesus asked God why he did something, so God had to do it. He'd already done it. God did it. And then Jesus said, why'd you do that? You understand what I'm saying? And the word forsake means to abandon completely. To leave, to remove one's presence from. That's what it means. To leave, to abandon, to remove one's presence from. So here's what God, here's what Jesus said. God, Father, why'd you leave me? Why'd you, why'd you abandon me? Why'd you take your presence from me? Why? And so a week and a half ago in my quiet time, I said to the Lord, I'd, I'd like to know that. I, I'd like to ask you that question, God. I said, why did you forsake Jesus? Here's what he said. So that I would never forsake you. Just in my quiet time. It was wonderful. Going through difficult things, going through my own struggles, my own situation. I said, God, why would you forsake him? He said, I forsook him so that I'll never forsake you. I'll never abandon you. I'll never leave you. Now, here's what I want to tell you. We've gone through the Ten Financial Commandments. If your finances are out of order, God's never going to leave you. I just want you to know that. If you've really messed up in your finances, I want you to, tell you, I want you to hear something. God's not going to leave you. I want to tell you something else. If you've messed up your life, God's not going to leave you. Right, let me take it a little farther. If you've left God, God's not going to leave you. Because He already left His Son, Jesus. So that He would never leave you. He abandoned Him. So he wouldn't abandon us. I just want you to know that no matter how bad your life is messed up, God's on your side. He's not going to leave you. And it's not too late to come back to him. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. What's God saying to you today? I think there's some of you here that need to come and give your life to Jesus today. 
When we close the service, we're going to have people here at the altar that can minister to you. It's very, very easy to come to Jesus at Gateway Church. It's very easy. Because we'll dismiss the service in a moment, and there'll be a lot of people down here just coming to people to pray with people. And you just come down to the front and just say, I need to give my life to the Lord. I need to give Him total control of my life. I need to come back to Him. Whatever it is, you can do it. If you need prayer for something else, we want to pray for you. We want to minister to you. Lord, I pray for every person here that's maybe dug a hole financially. Lord, I've dug many holes. And by your grace, you've delivered me many, many times. And Lord, I ask you in Jesus' name that you will give every person here hope that no matter how bad we've messed up, you will never leave us and you will never forsake us. In Jesus' name, amen.